0: Brandon. Hello, hello, and welcome to another week
1: on the Brandon Peters Show. Today we'll feature a discussion on the 1973 film Lady Snowblood. Joining me today to discuss that film is a senior writer as well as a podcast host over at the AV Club. It always excites me to have her as a guest. Katie Rife. Hi. Good hello, to see you,
2: Brandon.
1: Good to see you. Good to. Bring you on to this show yes, for the very I'm first excited. time. It's been a while, and I tried to bring you on earlier, and then you gave me Mike Vanderbilt. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, yeah, you're very welcome. <laughs> very welcome. That was a he was a he was a treat, and he will be back <laughs> I'm on glad here. it went well. <laughs> Him and I were already talking about what he's going to do when he comes back. So,
3: oh, great, awesome.
1: So you're in the middle of getting like Sundance shaken out of your system here.
3: Yes, Sundance was last week. It was virtual festival. i never I've actually never been to Park City for Sundance. That's not something I've really done in my career, but I did virtual Sundance this year. It was my first time, and it was pretty cool. I feel like these festivals are kind of starting to hit their mm-hmm. stride and figure out how to do the virtual experience, and this one went pretty well, I think. Yeah, it saw some some cool stuff. My favorite was there's was one Called we're all going to the World's Fair that was in the next section that was really cool it was a really innovative sort of take on the whole screen life phenomenon but I wouldn't quite call it a horror film it's it's gotcha. more of a um, it's an experimental film and people like fall asleep but this one, <laughs> it's really creepy it's sort of screen life horror mixed with creepy pasta it's pretty cool
1: oh cool cool I'll yeah. be looking out for that before we get into Lady Snowblood which is a rad favorite film here. Ah, Uh, Let's talk a little bit about you in case people don't know who you are. (laughs) They should. Trust me, lots of people don't know who I am. I'm not that (laughs) big of a deal. (laughs) Uh, So entertainment journalism, that's kind of where you're at here. Was that always the interest or did it kind of fall, evolve from something else? What were your early goals when being involved with it's funny you
3: say that because i did a lot of different things before kind of landing on entertainment journalism and criticism i did go to journalism school i had a self-designed degree in uh i listen i'm so so lucky because i'm not qualified to do anything else but what i am (laughs) doing (laughs) I am completely useless wow. in periods of life. I had a self-designed degree where I combined film and magazine journalism, so I basically majored in being a film critic. And thank God it worked out. Wow! <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> not good for much else. I actually did a lot of different things. I did a fair amount of music writing when I was younger, um, and then after I got out of school, I joined. Well, I, I was one of the founders. I was there in the beginning. When we started a found footage group called Everything is Terrible and toured around with that for a little while, a couple years, and then worked at a video store here in Chicago for a long time. And at that point, I was doing a lot of different things, you know, because of touring with Everything is Terrible, I started getting involved in doing screenings, a little bit of programming Mm -hmm. and a little bit of filmmaking. I I never directed anything myself, but I worked on other people's films and kind of had a few different sidelines going. And the whole time I was also writing articles here and there. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I started freelancing at AV Club and turned out I really took to it. That was back in 2014. I started in February. And then in August, they brought me on as a fellow, which is like a six-month contract to work for them full-time. And then three months later, they decided to keep me. And the rest oh, wow. is history.
2: Yep.
1: February. We're in February. So this is the... F-
3: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's my seven-year seven,
1: anniversary. Seven-year yeah. anniversary.
3: Uh, yeah. It's weird. It feels like three or four years. It doesn't feel like seven years.
1: <laughs> well, this past year, it's probably caught up
3: sure yeah, this probably- doesn't count at all right we're all a year younger than we actually are <laughs> or, as
1: we, or as we like to say these times we're in
3: yes these or, unprecedented uh, times
1: unprecedented times because of the pandemic all that <laughs> everything is terrible which is like a really cool thing yeah. i used to watch a lot i and it's funny before i met you i was like wait everything is terrible like and I had no idea you were involved with that. For some reason, I, I, well, I watched it. It's probably because I just watched the videos.
3: Yeah, there's stuff, no names so, on the videos. Right. We would wear masks at the shows. And so. Oh, so Okay. You know, unless you did an interview, then no one would know that you were, in, or, or you told them, then no one would know. Mm. It, it was like anonymous on purpose because we were trying to be a little bit, you know, mysterious and creepy. Right. So that's why we would wear monster costumes, <laughs> and people be like, and we'd be like, that's we true. came out of the internet. It was a whole, it was a whole bit, you know, were, that we did. So no one would know if you didn't tell them.
1: Were you one of like the first groups doing that, mm-hmm. pulling it up? Because now there's there's like VCR party and there's like a bunch of yeah. different ones, but were you kind of like the innovators or we did
3: not invent the format or the concept, the concept okay. been around one of the very first people to do what you would call a found footage mixtape was actually mm-hmm. Joe Dante. Okay. Okay. He did one in 1969 called The Movie Orgy that he oh. made that when he was in school. It's not out anywhere because it is like an eight hour mega mix. And he did it the old fashioned way where he was splicing right. clips from eight millimeters and 60 millimeters together. It's mm-hmm. like commercials, clips from films, things like that. And his The Movie Orgy is designed to be shown at a party and you're supposed mm-hmm. to go in and out and like not oh, okay. sit and watch the whole thing intently. And so he did that all the way back in 1969. And then when I was in college, there was something called Lost and Found Video Night, which was okay. put out by Henry Owings, who did Chunklet Magazine down right. in Athens, Georgia. He had a whole series of tapes. Then there was TV Carnage, which was based in New York. And that was Derek Beckles, who, last I checked, he was working with Eric Andre on something. Okay. But there were predecessors, but we were the first ones to have a website.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So
3: we kind of were first in in the internet space but there were definitely people who made dvds long before we did
1: gotcha yeah because it was, i mean it's a brilliant concept it's one of those things when you say i'm like oh why didn't i think about that because mm-hmm. when i was in college it, well i used to, you know i've always branded you know cult stuff weird stuff oh, and we really? had a when i was in college we had a, a video a family video which is now defunct they had this crazy VHS section it's like mm-hmm. not not something you expect to find at family video but it was like two for 50 cents or something and oh, your college kids like oh crazy and we would we would go to town on that so just finding the craziest okay. stuff and it took up a big chunk of the store too yeah. and we would make theme we had like during finals week we had final fantasy week so we'd have to go into the video store try to find like a double feature fantasy film for each night of the week oh that's so watch. fun and I We've, I picked one called The Invincible Barbarian one time, and it's notorious because it ended on the word or. It was like, <laughs> the battle waged across the lands, and the demons came to this, and oh. it was, go to this, or. And then pause credits. It was funny because we would uh, then, for, like the, for eternity almost, but for the next right. week, we would leave voicemails, be like, yes, hey, uh, we're going to be hanging out tonight right around, getting dinner around six, or, and just click. And, and you know, then just click. <laughs> it was a thing.
3: But I was like, that's wow. Like, yeah, I, I have a video kind of like that that I yeah. got back then. It was called it was called Hillbilly Hercules, and it was only oh. a half an hour long. Oh, wow. And it, def- and it definitely ended on a cl- on a cliffhanger like that. Yeah. Yeah, so the, thing, yeah, a lot of people would do that. like, But taking that and
1: doing something cool like that, that's where it's like, oh, man. Oh, sure. So but we were,
3: we were influenced by TV Carnage mm-hmm. and by lost have video night and also the work of craig Baldwin, who's a Mm -hmm. collage artist working out of san francisco in the 80s and 90s we were influenced by negative land Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff existed before us so we kind of took that and kind of combined that with the vhs aesthetic okay because this was like the mid 2000s and one of the big reasons that everything is terrible came about was because a lot of video stores were closing around that time right and so what we would do is go to the video store and be like how much for everything And sometimes they'd be like 40 bucks. And then you just walk out with 200 tapes. And so we all get these crazy libraries of tapes because we all kind of did that for fun. And then we just started watching the tapes and making little clips out of them. And it started by just exerting things. And then Mm -hmm. I had studied film in school and was interested in editing and all this kind of stuff. And so Mm -hmm. we kind of started playing with it, trying to make something out of something else. And my grand goal, I don't know if we ever accomplished it. I don't know if it... Well... I did see a found footage tape last year called Ask Anybody that a guy named Evan Perchell made. He's the closest of anybody I've ever seen to making a movie that makes sense as a movie with a plot, and characters, and everything out of pieces of other movies. Ooh. He came really, really close and I was really impressed. But his though, it's funny because what he was working with is very formulaic. So maybe it was a little bit easier. He was right. working with gay porn. Oh, so okay. He made a feature length film out of clips. <laughs> That's cool. The the interstitial parts of the porns.
1: Wow. I wonder if it. it. I wonder if it feels more seamless than like Dangerous Men. Because that movie. (laughs) That movie was intended, but. It makes a
3: lot of sense as Dangerous Men. So yeah, yeah. he succeeded. Yeah. No, it's really cool. I think you can see it online. He also has an Instagram account called Ask Anybody if you go on there. And you'll see what he does. He does it. He's a very cool guy. He is like a archivist in his own right. And he's specifically interested in preserving gay gotcha. porn and like, you know, looking at it as more than masturbation material and looking at the like the cinematic aspects right. of it and the found footage aspects of it. So I really like his work. And I think he kind of took it to the next level because I'm not sure we ever quite made a full move Like with the way we would yeah. do it is we would have like chapters Mm -hmm. like my part would be the God part. And I would take all the clips that we had from all the Christian videos and make like a 20 minute segment that flowed nicely with all the God stuff. And then Mm -hmm. we would fade that into the next part and the next part, the next part. And that's how we made ours. And so, you know, you never had a full arc
1: all the way through. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's really cool. There's (laughs) been a lot of, if you go on Amazon, it's ridiculous. Like VHS. Documentaries? Have you been involved in any of those? With I
3: was in one, yeah, called Your okay. Tracking. Yeah, Just,
1: okay. I've seen that one. I don't. Oh my gosh. Okay, I need to go back to it. I need that was to go a while back.
3: Ago, buddy. <laughs> that was like seventy years ago. Oh I my was gosh. Was right oh, now ex husband?
1: Yeah. So, okay.
3: Okay. It was a while ago.
1: <laughs> so don't don't do music videos. No, don't do okay. movies with them. Don't and it ends. Ah! <laughs> that's what happens.
3: Oh, I know plenty of couples that have been in documentary <laughs> together.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, going to that with your your career in the AV club, what do you feel? Do you feel like you've put any kind of like stamp or direction into the AV club that you're like proud of or like that's there and that's the way it is because yeah. like my presence?
3: Well, things have changed a lot since I started there. So the reason like there was a lot of turnover, a lot of new people came in around the same time that I came in. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's too sensitive of information to say that what happened was is Pitchfork started this website called The Dissolve, a movie website, and yeah. poached a good half of the AB Club staff to start this website.
1: Oh. And that so- happens with all companies everywhere though. Yeah. That's yeah.
3: So there were some openings all of a sudden. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what happened. And the Dissolve only lasted a few years. It was a great website. I don't have any shit to talk about the Dissolve. It was a great website. It dissolved. <laughs> it did that's, dissolve. That and was
1: easy. That was right there. Nice.
3: <laughs> it got me but, my job. So <laughs> there thanks, you
1: go. The Dissolve. <laughs> Thank you.
3: I mean, I think that we didn't really take horror movies as seriously okay. until I started. We didn't do as extensive of coverage, and we didn't treat it as seriously. Okay. I think that that is a big contribution that I've made to it and expanding their festival coverage and like just certain areas that they didn't really, I guess, take seriously as art or whatever. I always joke that I, I'm the I'm the token spooky bitch. Like, that's my job. <laughs> like when I, we had a new employee come on a couple of weeks ago. and We were all supposed to introduce ourselves. They're so like, hi, I'm Katie. I'm the spooky bitch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
3: Because, like, well, I, uh, for film, you know, I, I cover all aspects. I try to be a uh-huh. uh, general-purpose film critic. You know, I cover all kinds of stuff. Like, right. I reviewed Judas and the Black Messiah last week. I reviewed The World to Come this week. But my that's where my heart's at, is the horror movies. And I also do a lot of true crime coverage <laughs> in the TV <laughs> section. So, yeah, I guess that's my niche over there. Although, you know, I try to be... I truly take the idea of a pop culture website mm-hmm. meaning that, like, not that you're not discerning or you don't have taste, but that you're open to everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, I and mean, you should. Be. I mean, everybody there's a lot of desire to wear like a badge of honor of like I am only a horror person. It's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. So much. I I love. I, I'm I'm a horror person myself, a gore horror. I don't know, but like you know, like I don't want to always like sit on like I would be like, well, because. I'd like to talk about this too. I'd like, yeah, to be, like absolutely. I have, I have opinions on this. I actually know a lot about, you know, yeah. And,
3: doesn't mean you've gone soft if you also like comedies. It's okay. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool, sometimes like,
1: sometimes a really laugh, good. sometimes a laugh, yeah, sometimes a laugh. Yeah. But yeah, the, I, I see like there's a lot of like tribalism and wanting to be like oh, the uh, horror community and all that stuff. I'm like mm-hmm. cool, but community the like I, I've I've found being involved with, like festivals and stuff like. My geekness has, like, turned from being, like, fandom of, like, certain properties to more of, like, fandom of just film in general. Like, I geek out like, film history, all stuff like that. And it's kind of a weird place for me. Like, I don't – I fit in with you to a point, but I don't agree, like, you know – I yeah, up, I grew up like but, loving Star Wars. And now I'm like, I don't want to be around Star Wars people. I like it myself for reasons.
3: Too much goddamn Star Wars these days. We were better off when you had to wait <laughs> for 10 years to watch a new Star Wars. Thing. There you we go. Better off back then.
1: Better off.
3: That's uh, just, my old Star Wars person rant. Like we were better off when it wasn't just new stuff all the time. I, and it's yeah, just like, Backstories.
1: I'll just keep it to my, like, like, like the 90s. I guess I'll keep it to myself, my Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. Because I argue that's the only time it was ever truly geeky to be a Star Wars person.
3: Yes, I, I mean, agree. The 93
1: 90s- to 99, because there was nothing.
3: Exactly. Yeah. But <laughs> you know what flourished back then? The EU. Yeah. Conventions, cosplay, fan culture,
2: yeah. all flourished back then.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, it it was really it's really weird because I mean there are billion dollar movies they aren't like you're not an outcast like the guy you hate that the football star he's going to the movie he probably likes it
3: yeah I like, have, same with same with Marvel comics and DC
1: mm-hmm, comics yeah
3: yeah I have a lot of thoughts about you know quote unquote nerd culture right which I I don't really have enough of a handle on to really articulate here right it's something i think about a lot and i think that like the sort of triumph of the nerds in the box office in the 2000s i'm not sure that it was a good thing for culture
1: no we won but, and it was but, like oh no <laughs> did we yeah.
3: and well and even the nerds themselves they started getting more toxic mm-hmm. you know like the entitlement i don't think was good
2: for nerds no <laughs>
1: no i mean we used to it used to be community now in like it's all it's
2: yeah that's, there's that's a, yeah, that's a lot of exciting nowadays. Yeah. That's
1: another topic for my rand round table called fandom. So,
3: uh, <laughs> yeah, right.
1: We'll talk Fan about question that.
3: Question mark? Then. Dumb exclamation <laughs> points. There
1: we go. That's what <laughs> would, just be yourself like your things. Yeah. But um Healthily
3: <laughs> <laughs> But uh to kinda bring it around, like I, I do kind of see myself kind of straddling because like you have like film critics and then right. you have horror writers and they're kind of two different things. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I, I straddled that those two worlds more so than I think a lot of people do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I would say you do for sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, there's a lot of the prestige, like when you're a horror fan and stuff like that, there's the one thing I like about a horror fan, there could be one cool part in an otherwise eh, movie, but it gets yeah. to recommend for that part. And I don't think a real, a film critic is going to understand that to exactly. write for the horror audience. And like the beast within that was forever recommended on a transformation for right. the longest time. So yeah, totally. Uh, but and, yeah,
3: And I think you can bring some of that into critiquing films that aren't horror. And right. I think that you can have sometimes higher standards for your horror movies. Exactly.
1: Too. That's perfect. Yes. Yeah, like totally like,
3: agree. Try to incorporate elements of both into my writing. You know, like <laughs> I, I, I don't, Look down on anything or spit on every anything. I take all genres seriously,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and if there is a movie that otherwise sucks pretty bad, but it has a cool part, right. like that will influence the grade I give it. I'm gonna bump it up because it had a right. cool part, you know.
1: Well, and also I think you come at it with a perspective similar where I am. You've seen a lot of trash in your life.
3: That's my that's my home in people, the trash. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm a I, like, lady.
1: <laughs> when when I'm writing a review or something, I'm like, well. It's it's average and people are like it's the worst movie of all. time. I'm like, dude, oh, you have sure, not yeah. seen. Oh, sure. You have not even close. It's it was a it was a technically proficient movie. I didn't care, but it wasn't all, like it was decently made and acted. Like it, it'll sit in the average bin. Like it's not an F. Probably. You haven't seen yeah. an F. Because if this is an F, then I guess I'm jealous. I, I haven't know.
3: seen very many Fs in my life. Do you know what movie <laughs> always comes back to me? Like, when I think of, like, one of the most disappointing movies I've ever seen. You ever seen Werewolf in Washington, the Nixon werewolf movie?
1: No. No, I didn't.
3: It's incredibly disappointing. Don't bother. Okay. But, like, I- like, you know, when yeah, when people want to say that, like, mm-hmm. you know, some pretty okay kind of indie mm-hmm. movie is, you know, a piece of piece – of, Utter garbage. And yeah. Like, yeah, but have you seen Werewolf in Washington? Because that movie is actually garbage.
4: Right.
1: <laughs> yes. I've seen some just oh, the yeah. pa- pa- <laughs> but painful stuff to get through, as if it was like off a checklist. And absolutely, and it's just like, no, you guys don't. They yeah. knew how to run the camera. That they, they won. They got to a D right there.
2: Right. So
3: let's. Yeah.
1: You know. Yeah. It's different. Actors knew
3: their lines. Like. Yeah, they're doing great.
1: <laughs> but then again, people aren't even like reading now. They see the, they want the headline, and that's all they. Okay, true. Done. So. are
3: the grade, here's a dirty secret. I hate giving grades, mm-hmm. and I wish I didn't have
1: to. Oh, I hate scoring too. I hate it. Like, because then someone comes back really? at you, like you gave that. So you're saying right. that this and this are. I'm like, no. It's it. it it's so right, bad.
3: Yeah, especially yeah, when you put things side by side. Yeah, that's when grades really start to get really ambiguous and. I often wish I could change my grades. You know, read my
1: words, figure out if I liked it. That should tell you.
3: <laughs> yeah, they're essential. They're part of the deal. You got to deal with them. But mm-hmm. I, if I could get rid of them, I would.
1: Yeah, I, I sometimes just certain certain ones. I get to. I'm like, if I can, if I'm writing a bunch on this, you're not getting a grade. If if I'm doing my five paragraph minimum done, you'll get a grade. But <laughs> okay, that's that's what I do now. Like I just like, because I I get throwback like because I, I give a high grade to something like Friday the Thirteenth the final chapter, sorry I really enjoy that movie I've loved it I I can't just go man three stars what are the right? better Jason films huh that's four that's four that's the Corey Feldman one with Chris Lover. One. it is it's it's everything it's, it's if you one. if you're gonna watch one Jason movie and you want it to be scary that's your best shot because it gets yeah. the, everything it's the first the three, 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 three did, did does it the
3: best. best. Essential
1: jason movie no bullshit no bullshit yeah yep, exactly
3: yeah and
1: it's got dead fuck i love dead, dead fu- okay oh, <laughs> last american virgin yes he is teddy oh yeah. okay <laughs> anyway yeah so since yeah since i bet you years ago and i it's so i think we, we were working on uh you were talking to me about the halloween home video thing yeah you i wanted to, to do
3: a really intense. I was like, I want to do something really granular and nerdy and intense about all the different home releases of Halloween. And I'm not sure how somebody recommended you to me or something like that. Or maybe I found something you had written and I was like, oh. I think it was, my, it was
1: my because I did an article on like every home video release they'd ever yeah. done. And I think you read that or you and you're like, oh, I'll just talk to him or something like Yeah, like, like
3: you that. knew Yeah. You're, I was like, oh shit. Because it's one of those things where like A thing with talking about horror movies is that you really want to know your shit because people really Mm -hmm. know their shit. And so, yeah, that's when I I saw what you'd written. I was like, oh, he really knows his shit. So I I turned it into more of an interview thing where it's interviewing you about it because you already knew, you know, I wasn't going to just read what you read and rip it off. I was going to bring you on, you
1: know? Right. Yeah. And no, when we were working on that, I was like, okay, her and I are in the same wavelength about a lot of things. So I need to talk to her more often. (laughs) Yeah, you on my old show a couple times, and absolutely here we are now. But yeah, I always enjoy sharing stuff with you. So
3: yeah, and we're not too far apart, Midwest.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yes, very true.
0: 囚人と守られて I'm not going to be able to do it. you do you think you
1: So Lady Snowblood, and I'm going to continue to murder names here, is directed by Toshia Fujita from a script by Norio Osada based on the manga of the same name. It stars Meiko Kaji, Toshio Kurosawa, Miyoko Akaza, Takeo Chi, Hosel Kamastu, and Sane Nakahara.
3: Yeah, not you didn't do too bad, dude.
1: All right. And and I
3: apologize if anyone of Eastern European descent is watching this, but I really, I kind of struggle with like Czech and Polish names. Yeah, kind of tough. It's, I'm, I'm, uh,
1: I'm just as awful as you people think us Americans are. So, <laughs> uh, everybody
3: so. who I've asked about this says the main thing is just to put it, try your best,
1: say it confidently. Say, it So, Lady Snowblake serves a strikingly beautiful young woman raised from birth to be a deadly instrument of revenge against the yeah, swindlers who destroyed her family. Born
3: for vengeance, baby. Born
1: for no choice.
3: Walking between worlds. She's neither human nor a ghost.
1: She is a task. That is all she She's
3: is. She's a demon child born to kill. On I the
1: night her. of. Uh, so. You brought Lady Snow. I knew you'd make great choices. So I, I, it's like, I can't wait to see what she comes back with. So, why S- the Lady Snowblood? And what's your kind of history with the film? Well,
3: I picked this one because uh, Mako Kaji, the star of this film, is one of my very favorite people. If you want to talk about like formative influences, um, I guess we could have done Kill Bill Volume 1. Right. I saw that movie and I was just like, shh, when it came out. But I chose this one because that movie led me to this one. And then this movie led me to so many other things. And so I think that this one is really the real kind of what opened the door for me. Mm -hmm. Meiko Kaji is one of my favorite actresses. Alongside Pam Greer, she was one of the first women actors, actresses, who was known primarily for doing action movies in the early 70s. That was not very common yet. I think you'd probably put Angie Dickinson in that bucket, too, Mm -hmm. in the early 70s. But, you know, there really weren't very many back then. And in Japan, she was a pretty big star. But she's got a really interesting story. Like, her career reflects a lot of what was going on in the film industry in Japan around that time. So she's still around. She does TV there sometimes. She didn't really like being kind of put into the action bucket so much. She wanted to break out and she ended up doing a big drama film that was nominated for some Japanese Academy Awards. I have not seen it. It's pretty hard to find subtitled. But anyway, she started off at Nikatsu Films when she was pretty young and did a series of movies called the Stray Cat Rock movies, which are these really fun movies. Several of them, I think, are in English now. Stray Cat Rock, Sex Hunter is definitely subtitled in English, although... Listen, I'm going to date myself. Uh, this came out on DVD like 15 years ago. And when I say it's out, it might be wildly out of print by now.
1: <laughs> it is. Uh, Arrow Video has a collection of them on Blu-ray. Oh, they so. did? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, that's wonderful.
1: Yeah, they, they did a set. They did a bulky set, and that went out of print. And now they just have like a regular Amore case with uh, all the Oh, movies.
3: that's great. Yeah, those movies are really fun. They're very jazz, They've got a lot of that spirit of the late 60s in them. So she started off doing those movies and would play gang leader in the in those movies. And then she ended up uh, she did a few other movies for Nikatsu, a lot of movies about like wandering gamblers and like haunted samurai, like samurai ghost movies and stuff like that. But she ended up leaving Nikatsu because in the early 70s the Japanese film industry was not doing great and Nikatsu pivoted to doing all softcore porn. Oh. So it'd be the equivalent of like if Lionsgate was like we just <laughs> porn now. Like they were that size of company. We're just you
2: know? gonna do that. Yep.
3: Yeah. Like a mini, like a, not the biggest, but a major. And they were like, we only do porn now. And she was like, mm, no thanks. And so she left. You have a spot went, here
1: if you want.
3: <laughs> yeah. She didn't do a lot of nudity in her career. Like she, another series she did was the female prisoner scorpion series, right. which is a fabulous revenge series. Very cool. Very psychedelic. My favorite's the second one. Yeah, I think... Uh, Jailhouse 41.
1: I think that's the one I like the best, too.
3: Yeah. And so, like, you know, those are pretty rough and tumble movies. So, you know, there's a little bit of nudity in those. But she didn't want to do... She was like, no, I don't want to be in soft course. Like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm I'm an actor. Like, I don't do this. And so she left and ended up doing Lady Snowblood over at Toho. And she became famous off of that. And that led to a whole other, you know, this movie had a sequel. Mm -hmm. And then after that, she did the female prisoner scorpion things. And she was like a pretty big action star in Japan. But then, like I said, in the late 70s, she was kind of looking to expand into that and be, you know, a serious, more serious actress. And so she was in, oh, she was in the Battles Without Honor and Humanity movies, too.
1: Okay. Which if you're
3: familiar with Japanese film are a big, big
1: thing. I think Arrow's got a set of that too. Yes, absolutely. Because um, I have, I have the what, female prisoner scorpion from Arrow. Mm-hmm. I got that set, but oh, uh, me too. Yeah, uh, I don't have the stray, stray cat rock one. I need to pick that one up. And-
3: oh, me too. I didn't even know yeah. it existed.
1: Yeah, oh,
3: dating myself, like I said, I believe it's called Double Suicide of Sonozaki. It was like a serious drama that she was in. She had been doing a lot of yakuza stuff, a lot of mm-hmm. action. It's this sort of thing. And like I said, she was nominated for a Japanese Academy Award. But then, you know, she kind of transitioned into TV and she's actually on a TV series in Japan that aired last year.
1: Oh, wow.
2: OK. And
3: so she's still she's still around. But she was she was kind of I would call her the Pam Greer of Japan.
1: There you go. Yeah, that's yeah. adequate. Yeah. And yeah. I, bet she, I mean, she's and she's got like just that iconic character. I mean, Lady Snowblood, of course, mm-hmm. and then the female prisoner scorpion with the, yeah. the hat and the of so those. yeah are, so that really... series
3: has gained in popularity quite a bit like when i first discovered this movie it was back in uh oh three lady snowblood mm-hmm. and female prisoner scorpion was kind of obscure at the time not a lot of people knew about it especially not the whole series like you couldn't get the right. whole series like you had to get an import if you wanted to see the whole series i think it was just the first two movies were out oh, okay in america at the time and then uh but now, now it's a pretty common point of reference, which is pretty cool, but also gives you that hipster feeling of like, you just want to say like, I you don't because you're not a dickhead, but you have that thought.
1: <laughs> I, I liked it when I could only watch two of them and wonder about the other two. <laughs> yeah, so <it> exactly. <laughs> my pirated reverse screened <laughs> vision that I downloaded of a tour. Yeah. It's it's kind of funny. Yeah, like the home video stuff's getting so looser. They're getting things together that, you know, making them almost more mainstream. And they're, I guess, and it's I'm happy people these find these awesome. things. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Like these movies are awesome, but it was a couple years ago where I got to the point where I was like, oh, don't be surprised when people have seen Female Prisoner Scorpion anymore. Like, because it's out. Yeah. And yeah. It's pretty
1: cool. I mean, yeah, I go back to the days where I remember I had to like go to like Suncoast and special order. Suspiria.
3: <laughs> I, used to, I used to be big around this time, and I still have quite a few of them. I used to be big into buying VCDs off of eBay. Oh, okay. Asian movies that weren't out in America yet. Okay. Because this was a thing that you could do. You could hack Like the cheaper the DVD player, the better. Mm-hmm. If you bought a really cheap DVD player from Walmart, when you set it up, you pick the region. Right. You just pick a different region, and at Voila. Yeah, yeah.
1: I have so, a yeah. I used a lot of
3: stuff off eBay from gotcha. like uh, Hong Kong and Thailand and Japan. Yeah,
1: gotcha. Yeah, I, I bought a region free player and that changed my life and made my wallet a lot lighter.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's that an, ad, like a crappy. You you can do the hack. Yeah, but like <laughs> yours is going to last for a long time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, know, you can do the hack. You can just keep going through the other ones.
3: Yeah, but yeah. like, yeah, I had I had one that was like region three. I think was the region mm-hmm. that I was getting a lot of, and then I had one that was PAL because you know when you set it up, you yeah. just pick PAL. Mm-hmm. And they were like fifteen dollar DVD players, so it was fine.
2: That's <laughs>
1: awesome. Yeah, we used to <laughs> when we did testing. We had the a special PAL station. Oh wow! Yeah. In- it was always weird to watch movies that were not intended at that frame rate. At that frame rate, and I was like, "Hal's
3: really weird. It's so much weirder than regions because yeah, the frame rate's different.
1: Different, yeah. Because I remember it always looked like it was on the one point five play. Is what it looks mm-hmm. like when you do it. But oh my god,
3: like uh, an example of that is uh, that Ken Russell movie, The Devils.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, because it's was, it was censored and edited and banned in all these different places. Right. There was so much confusion about which version of The Devils. Would be on different discs, or you know, when it played on Shutter, it was a lot of confusion around it because, like, the the run times were slightly different just because right. of the PAL and NTSC. Oh,
1: computer. yeah, gotcha. and, and it, it wasn't was more
3: like, is this missing ten seconds? It's like, no, it's just longer, shorter in PAL.
1: Right. Yeah, and they didn't run that uncut, did they? It was just a normal. I
3: element. don't. I think fully uncut, it only exists in a print. I think.
1: So it's like, that's, a, that's like one of the last Holy Grails. Yes, to,
3: truly. Uh,
1: come on, Warner Archive. But <laughs> they won't. Who knows?
3: Well, you know, the Catholic Church is not as powerful as it used to be, so it could still yeah, happen. <laughs> they were the ones that didn't want that movie
1: out. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's true. Or they could trade them for some of those truth tablets they're hiding under their... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Have you have you read the manga that this is based off of? Yes, I have. Okay. Okay.
4: Yeah,
1: I'm telling
3: you. I saw this movie and I was just like, "Holy shit! This is my favorite movie." All in. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm I'm on eBay. You know, Google translating shit. I'm like all over it. You know. Yeah. Back in my DVD player, like this movie just really opened up a whole new. It it, it really it opened up the bootlegging gray market side of me,
4: <laughs> gotcha.
3: which eventually led to everything is terrible. So I would say is like you know in a roundabout way it's kind of the big thing in my life was mm-hmm. this movie because I was just like I need to see more of this stuff. I need to see more of this. One of the things was I the manga was out in English. Okay. So I did get I did get that and I've read it. And the the funny thing is the manga is like the movie is it's it's violent. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got a lot of that beautiful bright red spring temperate paint blood. But the manga makes the movie look really tame. Really? A lot of sex, a okay. lot of really explicit gore. Like the it's wild. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. Wow.
3: The How- artist who did Lone Wolf and Cub.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Which is, that's a cool series as well.
3: Yeah. Also based on, it's funny, like these are comic book movies. Yeah. A lot of the big Japanese samurai movies of this era are comic book movies. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. This one does have like sex in it, but it doesn't, it's got like, it's got like a rape scene, but it's not like gross about it. Yeah. There's not a
3: lot of nudity in this movie. One of the characters is, she's a sex worker. She's Mm -hmm. paying off her father's debt right uh, but they they don't really show a whole lot yeah mm-hmm. and yeah. i think part of that was mako kaji was like no i don't want to do that
2: yeah
1: there's a lot more in the female prisoner scorpion series from i can yes. remember the just. female
3: prisoner scorpion series is pretty rough uh, right. in terms of of uh you know rape scenes and stuff like that like mm-hmm. the first one in particular is a movie that i wouldn't necessarily recommend to everybody because some people you know they have their reasons and they're pretty sensitive to that kind of yeah. content
1: Yeah, yeah. The first one's a bit brutal, and then I remember when I watched the first. I was like, "Oh man, I don't know if I want to keep going with these. If it's going to be this after this after this, and then the
3: second are a little different, though. The second one just mellow out as they go.
1: They get yeah. They the second one I think has the better handle of like the goofiness and the. The grittiness, mm-hmm. and then it gets a little more progressively goofy.
3: But even the first one, though, like it's not just total, you know, like gutter trash. Like no, 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 no. They're like psychedelic pop art. They're beautiful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wants you yeah. to feel something, and it does. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's a. I've explained this on many times on the show where people get offended or feel like they hate them. They hate a movie because it made them feel a way. I'm like, well, that was the movie working. You're supposed to sure, yeah, feel that way. That's success. You know, oh, I feel. I'm but like, I would
3: say. I would call Female Prisoner Scorpion an exploitation film, right, but I would yeah. not. I would not call Lady Snowblood an exploitation film. No, it's a, nope. A dra- it's an action drama,
2: is what yeah. I would call it.
1: The the big rape scene in the movie is just them pat like throwing a girl, fr- throwing her mother around, like just yeah.
2: ah.
3: It's, it's part weird. of the plot, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not gratuitous. It's it's central to the plot. It's right. one of the reasons why. Yuki, that's her name in the movie. And Yuki means snow in Japanese. Right. Like, that's one of the reasons that she is born for vengeance. The movie opens, we're in a jail cell, and the lighting in this movie is so cool.
2: Oh, it's gosh, amazing. yeah.
3: You have the red uniforms of the prisoners, and then you have these blue light coming through the slats and the prison walls, and then snow is falling through it. And it's just gorgeous light. I
1: don't think snow's ever looked as cool in a movie
3: before. No, <laughs> like so It's cool. so awesome.
1: Uh, and yeah, the movie is like effortlessly stylish too. Oh. like it just so natural. And like uh, the thing I like about it, it's this movie is so simple and that's like the key to it. But yeah. it's in the structure of the narrative that they make it a little more complex, which isn't because it's so it's a simple yeah. story.
3: It's episodic. It's a, yeah. The movie, you know, told in
1: chapters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and one thing I like is with with that, there's a lot of flashbacks but mm-hmm. each flashback almost has its own style. Like, uh, yeah. there's one that's like a told by like a drawing where they're given the history. There's some with historical photos. There's some with like sepia tone photos of the movie. Yeah. And then there's like the horror of the prison, but it has the beautiful snow outside, but it's mm-hmm. kind of like a horror movie there and then there's kind of the different kind of filters on the training sequences and mm-hmm. things, and when the mother kills one of the yep. assailants uh, it's just right. every flashback has its own look and i think yeah that's really
3: and awesome. i think that and i think that in the episodic like chapter structure of the story mm-hmm. do reflect its comic book origins
1: right yeah that's true yeah. yeah definitely definitely yeah that's what i like about this and just like the technically it's just Awesome. I mean, these were like weird, goofy, but actually, they are more informative than a lot of the A pictures of back then of how. Sure.
3: Yeah. Them. I I don't know if this was considered a B picture when it was made. I I think because right. the manga was pretty popular. Okay. So I think it was. And I I don't think it was like a, a gotcha. you
1: know. A, would it have Roll been a B in, in America?
3: Yeah, it was a though. fairly big thing.
1: Yeah. Would it have been a B in America, but an A in Japan. It
3: never. A lot of this stuff oh. never came out in America. Oh, they it didn't play double
1: feature somewhere at all. Or? No. No. Okay.
3: A lot of most of Mako Kaji's movies didn't make it over here until like the
1: '90s. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah.
3: Until a home video was when when a lot of these movies came over. Uh, not a lot of the '70s Japanese movies played in America. Okay. At the time. There was Shogun Assassin, which is the first two, right? Yeah, together. But a lot of what was getting exported was actually from Hong Kong. Was shot.
1: Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah it wasn't so right. much.
3: The Japanese films didn't travel over here as much back then. But anyway, mm-hmm. the movie opens in this prison. You know, the snow is falling. Everything. I mean, there's a baby being born. And this woman's in labor, and, and she's so intense. <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's so intense, and she's. She's a real demon coming out. (laughs) Yeah, she's telling all the other prisoners like, if I die, it's fine, but the baby has to live. And she starts telling them the backstory, right? Basically, of my husband and I were on our way to a new town with our our son, and we were going to start this new life. And he got a new job, and then these bandits stopped us on the road, killed my husband, killed my kid. You know, raped me to sold me into slavery, and so I killed the guy who they sold me to. And then I ended up in jail. And then I got pregnant however I could. And yes. this baby is going to kill all those motherfuckers for all me. Of them. <laughs> so, yeah, like, like that's the reason she's born is to avenge the family she never met. Mm-hmm. It's really intense. <laughs> it is.
1: And that's all she wants. That's what she lives for. Yes,
3: that is all she ha- That's all she has. I don't think it, it's going to blow anybody's mind to say that. You know, over the course of the movie, she kills all the people on her right. mom's list.
1: The checklist, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and at the end, you know, when she accomplishes her goal, like I think Mako Kashi, she's a, she's a great actress. She mm-hmm. does a great performance in this. She does a lot with like really with her face. Right. Yeah. And she has this look on her face, like after she kills the last guy, where like she looks relieved, but then she looks kind of confused. It's like, well, what do I do now?
1: Right. And she just uh, she's off her game, and the daughter of one of her previous victims just comes up and stabs her. Mm-hmm. And, and it's because she's just like I, I'm. It's it. It's over. Like what? Now? Yeah,
3: this is the only reason that I'm alive. So, and then, yeah. but my favorite shot in the movie is at the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when she is stabbed, and she she's like laying in the snow, and the sun's coming up, and she's bleeding into the snow, so you have mm-hmm. the 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 red blood on the white snow. And, you know, you can see where Kill Bill ripped all this off, right? (laughs) And then there's this beautiful shot where you see the sun start coming Mm -hmm. up. And so you have the red and the white, and then you start to see, like, orange and blue kind of creeping in. And so you have Mako Kaji's body kind of, like, curled up on the snow. And it's this beautiful, from above, wide shot with all these colors kind of playing together. Oh wow, it's really beautiful. I wish I could frame it and put it on the wall. Oh, I know.
1: There's so many moments in this movie that would make great wall decor. Like absolutely, it, it's yeah. so good. And there's a lot. They love the contrast of red on white in this movie. Yes. And they do so. They have so much fun uh, with it in different yeah, ways. Yeah, and they
3: and they play with that too. You know, because like those are the colors of the Japanese flag. Mm-hmm. And so. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah,
1: yeah, the totally American flag. That the, yeah, bleeding down. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, such good stuff.
3: I think there's a lot of political commentary in this that maybe gets a little bit lost on the international viewers.
1: <laughs> true, 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 true. Well, I mean, you're just so taken in by like the action and the, yeah. the desire to kill. Well, the...
3: like you said, that part of it is super straightforward. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, she's born and then there's a training sequence. With her super intense like monk, who she they, grows
1: up they, with, they let like one of the ladies out of prison to raise her. Is that what happened? Well, like, yeah,
3: she, yeah, yeah. One of the ladies who was there when she was born mm-hmm. gets out of prison and takes her and takes right. her to this monk and explains the whole story. And so the monk is like, "Oh, cool, yeah, I'll raise her to kill.
1: Great. Yeah, all right, we'll do this.
3: <laughs> it's a whole thing. Maybe it was a whole thing back then. I don't know. Get in the barrel." Um, Oh, I love the barrel. The barrel's great. Okay, if people haven't seen it, tell them about the barrel bit.
1: So one of the, the bits is that she is supposed to learn like she get a kick in the barrel and she has to like push yes. hard. He puts her, her in a it.
3: barrel on the top of a hill and pushes mm-hmm. her down the hill, and then he runs to the bottom of the hill and cuts the barrel in half and she has mm-hmm. to jump out of the barrel before he cuts her in half.
1: Exactly. And you know if she doesn't make it, she's not she's not worthy. She can't do it. She but, doesn't. Like, she's up. And she like she like flies out of that thing. And she's with like Sasha.
3: eight years old too. Mm-hmm. It's like a little kid.
1: <laughs> it is. Yeah, he's got a lot of tough love training sequences yeah. with with her. But you can a see lot that she's of, developing. Uh,
2: masters and martial arts movies are like right. that. Though. Yeah, yeah,
1: very much so and can we go back to that a few times so like Mm -hmm. it's not like one straight training session Yeah,
3: like you said there's a lot of it jumps around and there's a Mm -hmm. lot of flashbacks and things like
1: that yeah yeah definitely and the one thing i like too is there's a lot of moments with like a still person gazing at something and there's a lot of fast cuts to other parts of the movie Mm -hmm. and things Mm -hmm. and as somebody like oh well that's i've seen that before but with this movie it has like a sort of like song like rhythm to how it cuts. Yes. Like I can almost feel like a musical moment with no music yeah. and it's something cool that film could do that no other medium really can and totally. utilizing it. And I just felt like, like I see that I've seen this done a ton of times before, but in this movie it just, it flows like there's a beat to it, a, a rhythm and, yeah. and I really, yeah. I really like The
3: cutting that. in this movie is great. And there's a lot of great cinematography in it too. Like, you know, if you've seen Kill Bill, the shot of the cameras down on the floor, and then you have four people looking down at the camera Mm -hmm. menacingly, that was taken from Lady Snowblood. Lady Snowblood originated that.
1: Well, most of Kill Bill, I mean, Kill Bill, like, this is like the blueprint, like, this is the starting point. Like, okay, we're going to do a lot of this movie. Yeah. In this way. I mean
3: yeah. yeah, and the song that plays at the end, mm-hmm. Flower of Carnage is the English translation, plays at the end of Kill Bill and it plays at the end of this movie. It did Everything but that? put
1: her in it. Yeah, she Mako. She's
3: sings she the song. That, yeah. yeah, she yeah. sang the song theme songs for her movies too. Like she's yeah. awesome.
1: <laughs> she's the uh Patrick Duffy of film.
3: Right <laughs> Patrick Duffy meets Pam Greer. That's Mako Kaji. There you go,
1: there you go. Yeah. <laughs>
3: But I think that she has one of the all-time best kind of... I joked on Twitter and called it a resting bitch face. Yeah. But she's just like... Well, if she, she was a
1: boy, you'd call it stoic.
3: <laughs> I was stoic. joking. I, I, I don't think that that's what it really is. She no. just has this... She's got this long neck and this face, like, the, like this wonderful mm-hmm. cheekbones, angles on her face. And she has this wonderful control of her muscles to where she can kind of like look... Just like by moving her lips a little bit, she can look like warm and inviting, mm-hmm. or like I'm gonna fucking kill you. She like, can kill
1: you with the look. Like
3: yeah, very subtle yeah. facial expressions, but like she does an "I'm gonna kill you" face like nobody else.
1: No, no. nobody can do an "I'm gonna kill you" face like kachi <laughs> Like if if you're making a poster of like iconic film characters in the history, like she has to go on there from this yeah. role almost. Like it's, I think so. Like this is probably her most like easily ex- accessible role for, like, yeah, start um, with her films?
3: This was a criter- Criterion channel put this film in its sequel out, and I'm not mm-hmm. gonna lie, though. I kind of think the Criterion transfer of this movie's garbage.
1: <laughs> I have the Blu-ray, probably the same transfer. It was really, really clean-looking. It's
3: really clean, but it's so bright. Sometimes when they restore hmm. movies, like, they're too bright, I think. Gotcha. Maybe the old Animego DVD I used to have. Like, yeah. it was called Anime IGO. <laughs> oh. the company that was around maybe that maybe that dvd was too dark maybe i'm just used to watching it too
1: dark possibly but I um i thought it uh, looked really pretty uh the colors really stood out they had
3: very high contrast
1: mm-hmm. yeah
3: which is what kind of made me wonder i wonder if they blew this out a little bit because it's so high contrast
1: hmm. Nobody saw it in a theater looking this good, probably.
3: <laughs> well, not in America. Certainly not in America, yeah, yeah. America.
1: I looked at. I did compare because Arrow put it out too around the okay. same time, same set. You know, first second film. Uh-huh. Uh, Arrow has less bonuses, but the Arrow was scored as a lesser picture quality. But it looked like color timing was less touched than the Criterion one. Yeah, the
3: Criterion one is really high contrast, which does suit the color scheme of the movie because the movie has a lot of these, like you said, red and white and blue comes in a lot. And there's some scenes in the bright sunshine. Oh, my favorite thing though, my favorite color Uh in this movie, I love orange, red, temper, paint, blood.
1: Oh, yeah.
3: (laughs) And this movie has so much of it. It's like everybody's just walking around with a big blood bag strapped to them. You know, it's you know? hit
4: me
1: at any time. <laughs> yes. Well, the gore is like beautiful in this movie. It's re- it's, a, yeah. it's 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 beautiful. It's gross. It's effective. It's ridiculous, and it it just works.
3: Yeah, it's not like Night of the Living Dead real animal guts gnarly. It's more abstract than that, but it's still really gory to where it's, it'll be like this this spray of bright red that looks like you know a fountain.
1: Yeah. Right, and I, I think sound design plays a huge part in it too, because totally. there's a lot of wicked drips and stuff that really keep, yeah. it, keep it going when it's even not on the screen. You're just like, yeah, and then, oh. <laughs>
3: yeah. There is a lot of squishy noises. That's
1: yeah. true. <laughs> and there's there's limbs going everywhere, and she cuts one of the people in half because the person hung themselves, and she didn't get a kill, but she cut in half. I think it would have been cool had the person been faking like. Because when I first, I think when I first saw this movie, I was like. They're faking it. They're faking it. When she turns around, she's going to do it. And then she cut her in half. I was like, oh, okay. Well, she's Uh, pissed. Yeah, she's pissed. It
3: was her job to kill that lady. That lady killed herself. What the hell?
1: Not cool. In her mind, that was the second one she missed out on killing. Right. she saw the tombstone. Because there's one of the big boss. He has a tombstone. He was killed in a ship accident. But guess what? He's alive. And he wears a beard. And ends up she, she doesn't really get romantically involved with the son, kind of. Oh, the journalist? Yeah, yeah, the journalist.
3: Uh, she doesn't need a journalist who wants to write her story. That is
1: the she... wildest plot thing to be, I was thinking about with this. So the woman of the assassins is, m- no one can find her. Mm. And so the her sensei, her mentor, the trainer guy, divulges yeah, this mom. plot that this journalist is going to take down Yuki's story. He's going to write a novel about it. He's going to publish the novel. It's going to sell everywhere. It's going to become a hit. This woman's going to pick it up. She's going to read it, and then go. Well, I need to go out and get her See, in
3: 1884. It sounds crazy, but like, <laughs> that's happened before with like serial killers. Really, like strategically yeah. published information. Well, gotcha. oh, yeah, yeah, out. yeah.
1: That's what I mean. Red Dragon. They do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they
3: do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that thing happens. That happens in real life sometimes too. So yeah.
1: true, true.
3: <laughs> it's <a> thing.
1: It <laughs> started here. Cool
3: journalist character. Yes, like very modern. I think because he says 1881, and yeah, had a journalist and was a pretty kind of a new concept at the time. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's the whole second half is those two, ki- and she kills a, a wrong man, fake shimp. Will you yeah. like it's disguised with a mission impossible mask on
3: yeah we kind of go from like her birth to her childhood and then we go through uh, i don't I don't know if it's strictly chronological but it kind of goes from like kill to kill and then like you said in the second half it becomes a cohesive plot where they come up with this scheme where the journalist is going to print her story and mm-hmm. learn people out and then and and like you said that ends up she completes her mission
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, she is a, I mean, we're towards the end here, but she has a great intro scene, too, where she kills a guy for leverage for a dude that can find the other, the four assassins.
3: Right, yeah, totally. And what that, that reminds me of, you know, like I said, that she can do a lot with really subtle facial expressions. Mm-hmm. The fighting style in this, you know, it, it's not like, uh, you know, Sonny Chiba style, like, I'm going right. to punch your head in. Like, it's not like that. Like, she carries an umbrella that has a sword in it. And it's it's, oh, it's that's very long. so cool. Long delicate sword which is
1: pretty cool nice purple umbrella too yeah
3: yeah cool purple umbrella she has a lot of she'll do like flips with the umbrella and like pull a knife out of it and she has a lot of like kind of like cool subtle hand movements Mm -hmm. uh, where she'll pull out a knife and kind of like stab somebody and they don't even know they're getting stabbed until they look down oh "Oh." yeah
1: There Yeah. (laughs) there was one cool part where she was I forget. oh was it when the guys were first going to like Try to gang rape her in that village, and she mm-hmm. slowly pulls it yeah. out. Yeah, she like slowly pulls it out, and then someone arrives and she puts it back in. Like she's like, I almost showed my hand or something. Yeah, like that. totally. It was really cool.
3: You know, we we're talking about comic books. Like we were saying, Kill Bill is obviously very influenced by this mm-hmm. movie. But um, in comic books, the character of Huntress from the DC Comics is oh, a very Snowblood yeah. kind of character. Too. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. I yeah, I grew up. That was my era. <laughs>
3: But yeah, Huntress is like that getting revenge for a dead family. She's like stone cold Mm -hmm. killer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Jean-Paul Batman and the Huntress were my (laughs) era. Uh, Yeah. But no, this is great. Like if you like Kill Bill, like if you didn't go back and find this movie when that came up, because he was open about it. It wasn't like he was like.
3: Oh, yeah. No. I mean, I think ripoff is honestly a strong word. Right. For anything that Tarantino does. Because, yeah, he's very open about it. And, like, for me, the way that's functioned in my life is it's, like, breadcrumbs that you follow. It is. That's what I think
1: is great. Yeah. <laughs> like, it goes back... And I agree, it was a lot of films I had seen before, but I always talk about how I really liked listening. It kind of inspired this show, too. A bit was Ryan Johnson's commentary on the Last Jedi, which mm. is very informative. Like I really liked his mindset. I really like what he's trying to do, homage wise. Put things in that I wasn't even. I was like, oh crap! And I just loved hearing. I like hearing creators talk about the things they like and influence yeah. them, and just that kind of motif with with Tarantino too, where it's like, oh well, I want to go back and see where you. And he, yeah. right, Ryan Johnson is a guy that knows to go back to where, the, like when he did Star Wars, he didn't go like, well, what Star Wars? Let me watch Star Wars. He was like, no, he went back to like the Luke, what Lucas was into at the time, what he mm-hmm. was listening to watching, pulling from that. And then he took a little bit of his own and stuff like that. And that was, I think the right way to approach things. And that's what like yeah. Tarantino does. And they're not shy about it. And he, Tarantino does his own remix spin on things, but
3: right, like, this is not the only film referenced in Kill Bill volume one by any stretch of the imagination, but it's the most prominent one. And it's one that when you see it, if you've seen that movie, you're like, Oh shit, that's where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. And it really did that for me. I feel like this movie really took me from that level of being a kid in high school who sees new movies when they come out and have mostly heard of like big name American directors. I had heard of David Lynch and Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino but I feel like this movie is the one that kind of took me over the threshold where I was like, oh, yeah, Toshia Fujita. I know who that is. That's the director of Lady Snowblood. And, and that opened the door to me getting into bootlegs and gray market mm-hmm. and international DVDs. And I think once you go down that rabbit hole, there's no coming back.
1: <laughs> Your bootleg stuff, story is a lot cooler than mine. <laughs> All, halloween the curse of michael myers producers cut
2: oh that was come my on. first
1: experience of bootlegging
2: what were
3: we talking about we do not cast aspersions on <laughs> <laughs> any art that's true <laughs> we just on their merits
1: <laughs> i traded i traded what i thought was a director's cut of texas Chainsaw massacre 2 for it and it was, uh-huh. it was not uh, <laughs> it was not and the guy was very mad at me but yeah I got, I got the producer's cut i didn't mean to i wrote an article decades later apologizing to this man if you ever read it but
3: oh that's nice <laughs> make okaji still one of my favorites all time great face maker in cinema oh, i think gosh,
1: yeah
3: fucking stone cool stone
1: cold just stone
3: awesome. cold but she could also be very she like there are parts in lady snowblood like there's a part where she kind of, she meets the daughter of one of her, one of the guys she's going to kill and kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, feels for her a little bit. And there's a part where she's just standing and watching the daughter, you know, throw some, it's a whole backstory, but she oh, throws yeah. some some kind of wicker basket type thing. Yeah, she they made call them like
1: a woman basket or something. Or was yeah, a, you know, I'm not mi-
3: sure what those were for. It was, think... it was something made out of wicker. They call them um, like wicker uh, wives or something Wicked, like that. Yeah, sure what that they would... were for.
1: Yeah, maybe they were um, to put like a do clothes on, like make. Oh a yeah, shirt maybe or like something. a mannequin.
3: Yeah, mannequin, maybe because
1: they kind of had that look to them. But
3: totally, they were like person shapes. So there's this part where she's watching her for all those in the ocean because she tells her dad that that's how she makes her money, but it's mm-hmm. not how she makes her money. So there's this part where you know Yuki, Lady Snowblood, sitting like standing there watching her do this and like her, her face kind of softens mm-hmm. and like and you can see that she has some sympathy for this woman and she can convey a lot of emotions but just with like literally her face. Not her mouth, not mm-hmm. her eyes. Her right. Face. <laughs> and I think that's really cool. And she's and she's just very her fighting style is very like elegant and badass at the same mm-hmm. time. Like I just really like everything about this movie.
1: You know what's kinda interesting about her kills in this movie? Mm-hmm. It just hit me. Like The first one she goes to kill, he's like a drunkard, just loser. He doesn't care. He's done with life already. So it's like easy. The next one, she hangs herself Mm -hmm. before she can get to her. And then the third one, she has to stab him through his son to get to. She never has the direct, like, satisfying, just like, I did this, me. Like, there's always some sort of block in her way. Uh, Like, the only one she gets to do, it's just not fun because it's
3: it's not that she was
1: in it for fun, but.
3: Well, and it's tragic though that she doesn't even get that satisfaction because that is literally the only thing
1: she's ever had
3: in her life. Right, and yeah, yeah, and she doesn't even get to have the full satisfaction of it. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, and the one the direct kill she does have is a fake Mm -hmm. guy, and then a guy that's already pretty much dead anyway. Like that's yep, and guy, and then the the guy to get to the people to get
3: the- kind of a waste of all those years of getting pushed down a hill in a barrel huh
1: right right yeah
3: <laughs> true 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 well there was a sequel so yes yes no, <laughs>
1: i enjoy it. i like the sequel too i don't know your feelings yeah, bad, the but-
3: sequel. i wouldn't put it quite on the same level in terms of like art like we mm-hmm. were talking about the first one is very much a work of art and the way right. that it's not. i wouldn't quite put it on that level but it is it is a better than your average 70s flick
2: mm-hmm.
1: definitely We'll talk about that someday. (laughs) All right. What else? This is where we just kind of talk about anything we've taken in. Books, movies, TV, music, or something we've written, produced, put out in the world. So, Katie, what else?
3: Well... I write two or three reviews a week for AV club. And so, you know, I'm always watching something uh, this week. I'm writing about, Oh, this is an exciting one. So Kathy Yan, who made birds of prey, speaking of huntress, mm-hmm. uh, her first movie, which was made either 2017 or 18. It was a couple years ago now. Um, it's finally coming out. It's called dead pigs. Oh, and it is a, an ensemble piece, sort of like birds of prey, but it is set in China. I believe Kathy Yan kind of grew up going back and forth between China and America. It's about an incident that happened in Shanghai probably about 10 years ago. I don't know exactly where there was like an industrial accident and like thousands of pigs got killed oh. and somehow ended up in the river. And so like everybody's going about their regular business in Shanghai. And then all of a sudden there's like 10,000 dead pigs floating down the river. So this is like kind of a a colorful... Ensemble crime comedy, okay. Sort of based around that incident, and it's a really cool movie. Uh, it's going to be out on Mubi at the end of the week, and yeah, if you liked Birds of Prey, I highly recommend it. Oh,
1: I love, Pigs. I love Birds of Prey. Made in an odd year, we had it made my top ten last year. Awesome, so yeah. I, I think, yeah, I like, I love. Or if you of dig, plays.
3: you know, just Asian films in general, I would say right, yeah. definitely check out Dead Pigs. And I also rewatched Scream over the weekend. Ah. <laughs> Which I hadn't seen since it came out.
1: Back when, I, if you had a cell phone, you were a suspect. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. A big chunky one too.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, Slow mo. Oh, I like. I like Scream Two better. I was actually a Ooh. bigger fan of that one than I was the first one. I think. Yeah, I think it. I think Scream Two might, in my opinion, despite having its reshoots and stuff that it did, but uh, I think it might be like Craven's best directing. Like, oh huh, yeah, like there's there's some all-timer chase sequences in that movie and still to this day get me like like the cop car scene in that one better than the opening that.
3: scene of scream which is like an all-timer oh that is not, no what I'm not not, not
1: my praise of scream 2 does not disregard scream one but that, that opening happy. scene in, in uh scream one is yeah that's an all-timer but like scream two I think I think the opening's solid, but like there's a scene in the uh, where Dewey and Gail get chased around the college in the sound booth and stuff. That's mm-hmm. really great. When Sydney and her roommate are escaping or leaving campus and it, uh, the cop cars wreck and they have to get out of the car and the, the killer's like dead. Like that's really good. And I think it really cared about the additional characters they were adding in a slasher really? movie because they paid a lot of attention to them and like the uh, Dewey and Randy and stuff were like, and it had the balls to knock off randy which i think was one of the best moves that the series has suffered by being scared to do it again Mm -hmm. um since and yeah if you go to a movie they better not kill off sydney and gail and Dewey. you're going the wrong way man yeah man it should you should feel like anything can happen yeah scream 4 had a barn scene when when scream 4 had that barn scene where gail weathers did not die i'm like okay well
2: (laughs) you're like i'm not
1: everybody's making it out of this movie that's that was my thing, and yeah. but no, yeah, Scream, yeah, that was a big moment for me in high school. It was like,
2: "Slasher's are back," because
1: I was uh, like the one kid watching them, and then everybody was watching them again. So. Well,
3: see, that's when you had your little moment of like.
1: <laughs> well, I, I held off on Scream for the long. I didn't go see it for the longest time because
3: uh, you were like, I was like,
1: look at this pop thing.
3: I've seen, I've seen these movies. You
1: you have not seen The Prowler. How can you go see Scream? You know, like, (laughs) like, yeah, like, I got The Prowler to watch. And then my mom actually wanted to see Scream, which was bizarre. And she was, like, horrified by it. And I was like, that was great. Uh, So I finally went with her. And it was, you know, I, yeah, I was like, I I really liked it. I was like, okay, you win. Kevin Williams. What
3: really struck me watching it again is, you know, The two images that have stuck in my mind from that movie since Mm -hmm. I was like 13 until now was Rose McGowan in the garage door. Right. And the opening sequence with Drew Barrymore. Like Mm -hmm. those are just in here forever. But when I was watching it again, it was like I went and saw the original Nightmare on Elm Street at the music box here in Chicago Mm -hmm. like two, three years ago, not too long ago. And I hadn't seen that one in a long time either. What struck me about both those movies was the same thing. Was that how script driven they both were? Yeah, yeah remember them like i remembered these set pieces but you know especially compared to like a friday the 13th film those two movies are very script driven
1: right yeah that's true i have a heart i saw i've seen Elm street in the theater like once mm-hmm. and i get like i get some parts are goofy but it ends up being more laughter oh
2: than-
3: well this is a huge pet peeve of mine too yeah so
1: that's why I I just and I get the funny thing and when you go see it with a group you don't realize how bad the alcoholism of the mom is in Elm Street till you see it with a group and you're like oh my gosh and then you start going it's under the towel it's behind it like you can really see the booze bottles everywhere so that's that's enjoyable
2: yeah
3: um <laughs> no like sometimes when people just laugh all the way through a movie Mm -hmm. I want to like tap them on the shoulder and say it's okay to feel feelings you can feel a feeling you don't have to laugh
1: that's my (laughs) thing I think there's a lot of some people feel too tough or something like with scary Mm -hmm. movies or they they laugh out of their fear and it's really weird like
3: oh, it's old or it's like but I think there's a difference between kind of nervously giggling Mm -hmm. because that's something that I'll do like um, extreme gore always makes me laugh like in extreme gore scene I go bah like you know like um right. there was the Saint mod that just came out mm-hmm. it had to, like one really shocking moment in it i have
1: and a screener I, I haven't watched it yet.
3: okay well i won't <laughs> i won't say it. i won't give so... you any more context but there's one like really shocking moment in it mm-hmm. at fantastic fest when i saw it it's interesting because those are like really hardcore you know uh genre m- horror movie people that go to those and you got an even mix of <gasps> and <laughs> you know, it's like it's like the spontaneous noise you just make. Gotcha. That, there's a huge difference between that and like watching the the bed scene in Nightmare on Elm Street, where the bed's mm-hmm. turning around and like giggling, like you're watching Plan Nine from Outer Space. Like it's right. stupid. Right. It's stupid. Like it's okay. You can engage with this film like seriously. Like you can. Yeah. It's
1: Do you correct. know what a triumph it was to make this goddamn thing? Like that's one of the triumphs. Special. triumph like, yeah. oh it's so crazy um <laughs> my what else is the little things i finally watched that one I said it! <laughs> uh, speaking of giggling <laughs> I, I i i titled this y'all seen seven <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's absolutely what it is
1: oh my gosh absolutely what it is i felt when i watched it i feel like a younger hungrier director could have done something with this sure now, I don't know it would have been better. Well, like way better, but it m- could have been more interesting.
3: Yeah, I agree. Everyone was very comfortable in that film. Mm-hmm. Like with Denzel Washington's case, it's the comfort of like not trying that hard. And in Jared Leto's case, it's the comfort of like, I think I'm a brilliant actor, so I'm really going to try Like
2: yeah.
3: the confident kind of comfortable. You know
4: yeah.
1: I mean? Right. Well, yeah, like it, it's got a cast there and it does, it just doesn't. Challenge them or do it like
3: it's it's fincher exploitation big time.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And I just like I was watching, I'm like, man, this movie's not even interested in itself. Like, I always might for me, Denzel, he's a guy that I'm like, even if I watch a bad movie with him, I was okay watching it because I Mm -hmm. like to watch the man, but as an actor, yeah. But this was, yeah, I, I it was, yeah. Like Rami Malik was interesting just because he's like weird. He's a kind of got a wild card flavor to him when he's in things. So, he's
3: an interesting actor. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he does a lot of kind of weird shit. I think Jared Leto wants to be the kind of actor that Rami Malik is. Yeah, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. I'm not a big Jared Leto fan, as you can tell. <laughs> I, don't,
1: I don't know. I don't know who many are.
3: <laughs> he's got a cult, though. I don't know if you ever heard about that. No, He's better, gotta look it up. He's better gotta delete look this careful. part of the
1: podcast. If they're like the Snyder Bros, I better delete this.
3: Yeah, part. yeah, yeah. Be careful.
1: <laughs> he, I, I know a couple stories. Uh, mm-hmm. And these are from oh, probably like 15 years ago now. Mm. 15, yeah. So when he can admit he was in Urban Legend, then then I'll maybe. Then, give <laughs> more
3: then you'll, you'll give him like a tiny little. You'll give him an inch.
1: Still my favorite movie of yours. By the way, he was in Fight Club. I like Fight Club.
3: Urban Legend mm-hmm. has a really great library scene in it. That's one of it my does. favorite things in horror movies. When they go to the library to look up mm-hmm. the thing that's happening to them, right? Oh. oh, that's my favorite. They don't
1: do that anymore because they just
3: pull. No, it, like, damn. you just Google it now. It's so boring. <laughs>
1: you know, it was so funny. I oh, it reminds me of, like the Da Vinci Code. Like I read that book. And then, like, they turned, like, all this research stuff that was kind of interesting part of the book into, like, on a bus looking at a phone and they were done. I was like.
3: Bummer. Yeah, no, that's one of my, like, yeah, I love that trope so much. Not
1: that I'm supporting the book or the movie. I'm just saying I remembered that from. Right. That was one of those, like, grocery store books where I was like, I'll read that before the movie. Oh, yeah. Now I read it. I have to go see the movie. Did not happen with Lovely Bones. Still haven't seen the movie. What? pretty quick quick read oh yeah it's a it's a real quick page short chapters right yeah Yeah. yep total beat yeah just and then i read another dan brown book and then he like recycles the same structure for every book of his like it's the same thing
3: nice work if you can get
1: it hey he's making money (laughs) but yeah that was yeah the little things i nope
3: nope yeah like if it was a just like a hair campier, I think it would have been really right. fun. But it yeah. was, pretty, but it was like it took itself pretty seriously.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was probably yeah definitely part of the problem. But hey, it's a new movie with Denzel Washington and Rami Malek and Jared. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, it's like it's like the serial three
1: Oscar winners, and they can't make it that. Uh, That's
3: true. It's the cereal in a bag version of seven. We'll call it that.
1: There you go. Yeah. True. True. Okay. (laughs) Well, that'll do it for this episode of the show. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show.
3: Yeah, this is so fun.
1: I felt like I held off too damn long in bringing you on board to here. Oh, well, I'm
3: glad I'm here now, so.
1: But alas, I have the most fun talking movies and stuff with you. And before we go, let people know where they can find your work and things.
3: Oh, well, avclub.com is uh, where you can find me. At Rife with Katie on Twitter. I'm not great at Twitter, <laughs> but I am on there a lot. So
1: <laughs> the ones that aren't great on Twitter do things. The ones who are good at Twitter aren't doing much. Yeah, sometimes
3: right? I wonder how people tweet so much. I and, don't get it. Yeah, yeah
1: I think I'm, you like, well, what was that harsh writing advice day. Like stop. Like, how are you on Twitter so much? Like
3: that. I I seriously wonder. Yeah, <laughs> I do too. I'm like, okay.
1: Um, yeah, I I wonder how it is. I uh, yeah.
3: um, You can find me on there. That's the social media I use the most. And yeah, avclub.com. I publish most weekdays on there, yeah.
1: Gotcha. And did you want to talk about your drive-in event?
3: Yeah, we do have an event that... um, So you mentioned Mike Vanderbilt up top, who was was Mm -hmm. a guest on the show before. Um, he's also here in Chicago, and he runs a little a, a drive-in theater down at the bar where he works, uh, the Rock Island Public House. So they had a screen made, a booth built, the whole thing. They have a drive-in running down there. And something that we're doing in the beginning of March that is something that I want people to know about, we're doing a tribute weekend to Mike McBeardo McPadden, who, if you're into the wild and woolly side of movies, you probably, you may have heard of Mike. He wrote a couple books. He wrote a book called Heavy Metal Movies, one called T-Movie Hell. Unfortunately, Mike passed away back in December. So we're going to do a tribute weekend to Mike at the Rock Island Public House from March 5th through 7th. And we haven't nailed down all the details of it yet, but we want to do a virtual element because I used to do a lot of readings with uh, Mike McPadden. And he, he loved nothing more than throwing a reading and people would write essays and read them. And that was his favorite thing to do. So we're going to do that in honor of Mike. And then so you can find out about that on Mike Vanderbilt's Twitter, my Twitter, Rock Island Public House, on all the socials. We'll have the details on there. Excellent.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Um... And I'll try to share what I can on that Thank as well. You. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD, written work at YSOBlue.com. There is more from the Brandon Peters Show this week, including, speaking of seven and stuff, uh, the out now commentary for Silence of the Lambs that we recorded uh, for that show. As people know, it airs on my show too. But until then, well, that'll be on tomorrow. So until then, always remember to keep the positivity in your online film
0: discussion.
4: で